Yo, what's up? It's your girl, DJ Narc. The sun is coming up. It is 5.30 a.m. in New York City. So, I'm not very good with my feelings. <laughs> I'm not very good at talking about my feelings. I revert into this kind of childish state where I just quote movies. <laughs> You're such a fucking tough guy, McManus. It's odd, right, that I would relate to McManus from The Usual Suspects more than I do to most people <laughs> in film. And he doesn't even have that big of a part. It's just that everything that Baldwin does in Usual Suspects reminds me of me. <laughs> He's like, hey, I just wanted to tell you, it's going to be me that gets you. I'm going to be the one that kills you. You know, it's stuff like that. It's like, yeah. <laughs> McManus is such a tough guy. I'm such a tough guy when it comes to my feelings. But I'm such a punk bitch when it comes to my mom. most kids raised by a very strong woman I have issues with my mom but I'm also a total punk bitch because I need my mom right drink something so yesterday we found out that maybe my mom needs to have a little surgery which is fine she's had 10 surgeries in her life so <laughs> mashallah the woman's a tank um three c-sections and a gallbladder removed and a host of other things. I think she's had two or three surgeries on her nose. Um, she has this like thing where like the inside of her nose will just build up with a lot of tissue and like so it needs to be like scraped out from the inside or else like she can't breathe. So it's kind of like doing like a closed stitch nose job like but over and over again because the tissue just like it builds like it just amasses and she can't breathe. Um, so she's had a lot of surgeries and mashallah, she's always been fine. Um, I think what kind of hit me about yesterday or what I'm processing right now is that just a couple of weeks ago, Something happened where my mother exhibited some tendencies that she would have been, you know, just routinely exhibiting when I was a kid. <clears throat> and I had had a very straightforward conversation with her, which is not how I speak to my mom. Um, I don't like to hurt my mother's feelings. Being really straightforward with her does hurt her feelings. 
So I try not to be. But in this instance, I was just... My own instincts as a mother kicked in. And I was like, look, mom, I love you. I'll love you forever. But if you put me in a position where you treat me in a way that makes me then not be able to be the best parent I can be, I'm going to stop talking to you. Because it's one thing for Baba to be really far away and for me to be able to transmute, dilute, do whatever I need to do to whatever is happening to me before I see him. There is this natural kind of distance that's been created by him being there and me being here. So I can, in most instances, 99% of instances, I can filter out anything that's happening to me without letting it affect my child. So it's a huge luxury in a way to have this distance, right? And it was a, a, a labor of love for me to learn how to not immediately react and not immediately emote and not, you know, get all the way in my feelings and, and lose all sense of like, what's the logical solution here and just get really upset or really worried or really, you know, like this, this panic thing that I have, right? Where I like jump into the most intense version of that emotion and I can't, it's, it's been, a, like I said, it's been a labor of love to learn how to regulate that. And it, it only, the only incentive that I ever have received that made me want to work that hard on myself was having a kid. It was as soon as I had a kid, I was like, nah, I can't be like this anymore. Because if I keep being like this, I mean, what shot does this kid have at a normal life? You know, inshallah, he'll get through, you know, being raised by me. But what chance does he have out there in life if what he's been exposed to all through his formative years is someone who can't um, <clears throat> regulate and modulate, you know, their emotional responses? The, the world is such a scary place for a kid whose parents don't have, or a parent doesn't have the capacity to control themselves. You know, they kids learn very early then that the world is just total chaos and the idea of being safe becomes this obsession, you know? Um, they seek it out in everyone they find, especially the people who will absolutely not keep them safe. Um, they Some go completely the other way, like I did, and just become very daredevilish and don't care about being safe at all and are almost courting death. You know, like th there, are, there are extreme reactions to being raised in, well, you know, it's tantamount to like a war zone, right? So I realized as soon as I had a kid, like, uh-uh, this can't happen. And I, it took me on a really long journey because I realized through that effort and through this, you know, this divine motivation of being a mom and being like, I just can't do this to my fucking kid, man. I realized through this process of pushing and, and breaking through that so much of what I considered was mine and how I was as a person wasn't mine at all. It, it was a reaction to what I had to filter out of my reality to be able to function. So it was coming from my mom. 
right? And and that became more and more obvious to me as I got older, as I became, you know, I went from being a parent for a year to two years to three years, being a parent for 10 years. You know, you learn, you evolve, and you learn to see these murky lines between where your mom or your dad stops and you begin and where you stop and your kid begins and, and, and what are the things that are going over these lines and what's seeping through that shouldn't be and, and where are these boundaries just not as strong as they should be, you know, to protect everyone in question both ways. Um, because I will readily admit that one of the things that happens when you don't know how to regulate your emotions is that you raise kids who grow up to tell you your business and, and read you your life, you know, because because they don't have the, the respect that they should have for you. I can tell you right now that there are things that I have said to my mother that you could not pay me. There is not an amount in the world you could pay me to ever utter those words to my father. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it because he don't deserve it. Not that she does. Do you understand what I'm saying? Her not being able to regulate her emotions has everything to do with being an orphan, abandoned as a kid, abused as a child, left, neglected. She was so neglected and abandoned and malnourished that her hips warped. The reason she had to have three C-sections is because she was so malnourished that her bones started to twist. She got this huge distended stomach full of air like the kids did in the 80s in Ethiopia from extreme starvation. You know, like she, she... <clears throat> Drink some... Yo, I'd be so annoying because I'd be like rolling joints and then just sitting here. <laughs> People on the lives be like, girl, light it. I'm like, oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> I'd be upset and I'd be rolling on the live. And then people are like, you know, you would be less upset if you stopped rolling and just lit that. And I'm like, oh, right, right, right. <laughs> My bad. Smoke it if you got it. So, you know, she's not, <coughs> she was raised by a stepmother who was raised by a stepmother. She's not. It hasn't been easy for her. At all. So, when plans were finalized and, inshallah, you know, Baba will be here in a couple of days, it started to weigh on me some of her behavior. And for the most part, she's been excellent, 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 excellent for years now. Things are so much better than they used to be. And it is, it is a direct result of me, not my brothers, not my father, not anybody else, of me being like, yo, you can't be like this. And having the really hard conversations over and over again and really just like holding a very clean mirror up to her over and over again and being like, look, I love you, but this is how you're behaving. And I get why you're being like this, but this is not okay for anybody, including you, but also for all of us. And you need to be able to see that we're all here 
and that the way that you're behaving is very destructive for yourself, but you are a person who may not love yourself or may not have been taught how to love yourself, but you love us and you're affecting us. And when you, when you say that to her, whatever she's doing, she'll stop because that's the last thing she wants to do. So it has been a process and it has taken the better part of a decade, if not more. You know, I could go back and, and just, I guess the most honest way to say it is that this has been a conversation since I was born. You know, like that's something that my dad always points out. He's like, you know, you're the one who never let her push, you know, in a way that's destructive, in a way that's abusive. Like you just, you've always had the ability from a very young age with me, with her, with anybody, with anybody. It didn't matter if, you know, your parents, your uncles, a teacher, a stranger, You've always had this ability to be like, no, stop. You can't do that. You can't say that to me. You can't treat me like this. Like, and I think that it's been a, a, a bit of an eye-opening experience for my mom. Um, the only way I can describe it is this. I remember when I was like six or seven, I maybe a little bit older than that, I watched a movie called Golden Gate. Uh, it just happened to be on TV. We had a TV, me and my brother, in our room, and uh, we weren't supposed to watch it, except like in the mornings for cartoon, but we watched it all the time, especially at night. And um, our bedroom window, my parents can see it from their bedroom window, so they would totally know that we were watching TV. <laughs> but they would just let us like sneak and turn it off as they would come down the hallway to check, and like they would not be like, we saw that it was on. They would just like come in, it would be off, and they would leave again. Um, so we would watch these movies in drips and drabs. And and they would be like, there was this channel in New York on just normal TV called Channel 11. And Channel 11, I just had like the best shit on all the time. Twilight Zone marathons for New Year's and July 4th. And movies at night and cartoons in the morning and, and talk shows. <laughs> um, so I watched this movie called Golden Gate again in drips and drabs and I remember I was so young and I only had one Asian friend named Mary Che fucking dope ass bitch Chinese girl but other than that I didn't really know any East Asian people and Mary was is like Chinese Chinese like she had just come from China so she didn't really speak a lot of English either like very little. And I was raised until I was five at home speaking only Urdu, no English at all. So I learned English in kindergarten. That's why I still, you know, when I say like three, you see how I say three? Yeah. <laughs> Cause I got an accent. Um, so she was the only East Asian person I knew. And I was growing up in Harlem, going to school with just Caribbean kids, all Caribbean kids, all, everybody was Caribbean. Uh, except me, my brother, and Mary. Um, and that was it. There was no other East Asian people around. So I'm watching this movie, Golden Gate, and at one point, the girl, I guess it's her inner monologue, and she's Chinese-American. The, the movie is, if I'm remembering correctly, it's a romance between a white guy and a Chinese girl in San Francisco, and maybe it's set in like the 40s, maybe the 60s? I'm not really sure. 
We had to turn off the TV a lot that night because my dad just really wanted us to go to sleep and we just really wanted to see what the fuck was going on with this movie. <laughs> so. <clears throat> between the off and on, there was this moment where the girl in her, you know, this really cheap, 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 cheap technique that filmmakers use with this voiceover you know, fucking do the exposition, man. Do the fucking work. Why you got this motherfucker telling us the whole fucking story? Why, why don't I just listen to the audiobook? You know, if all you want to do as a director is show me shiny, pretty pictures and have some motherfucker talking over it, why don't you go direct podcast episodes? Like, get the fu Anyway, sorry. Sorry, sorry. Anyway, so she's doing her little monologue, you know, cheap tricks. And she says, uh... I think she said something like, I had never felt so removed and isolated from my own thoughts and feelings. I'd never, I'd never felt this kind of inescapable yearning and longing. And I remember thinking to myself, Asian people have inner yearnings and longings? What? This bitch is talking about being mentally tortured. What? Asian people are mentally tortured? Yo, it occurred to me in that moment that I didn't fucking actually think that Asian people were like people like I was a person. I thought they were something else, that they didn't have the same type of feelings I had. They were so physically different to me that I just assumed they were so alien to me in so many ways, not just physically different, because my mom kind of has Asian features and her side of the family, they look very Chinese. So it's not that. It was that they were, and we're Asian ourselves, so we know that obviously Asians have feelings. It wasn't that. It was that I, I found it so shocking that her feelings were so normal. They were so much like mine. I guess I thought that they would have been somehow exoticized or more you know, mysterious, or maybe they have different kinds of feelings over there. Their whole culture is such a mystery to me. Like, maybe they just think different. Maybe they talk different inside. Maybe they feel different inside. And it was my first kind of revelatory moment about how insidious racism is and what racism is. Because I love Asians, obviously. Again, I'm Asian. I love East Asians probably more than I like South Asians. So it wasn't that. It, it dawned on me that even though, even if you have a deep love for something, a genuine deep love for something, a curiosity, a respect, you can still be a fucking racist because you can still be harboring thoughts about someone based on how they look or where they're from that, that, that devoid them from the human experience. How the fuck could I have thought that this girl wasn't having thoughts and feelings and inescapable yearnings. Of course she was. Of course she was, just like everybody else does. You know, if I can readily assume that a man from Kentucky driving a pickup has inescapable yearnings, which I'm sure he does, but I've also seen on TV over and over again that someone like that does, right? So that was the next clue in, art. It was this piece of art that I have watched in drips and drabs on channel 11 that has clued me in. And then after that, I watched the Joy Luck Club. And then when I watched the Joy, and if you have not seen the Joy Luck Club, 
if, listen to me, oh my God, I can't believe I have to have this conversation with you, but also you're young. It's not your fault. If you have not seen the Joy Luck Club and you happen to be Asian, the way, bitch, you are missing out. The way you are missing out. Okay, so after that, I watched the Joy Luck Club and I was like, yeah, exactly. These people are so human. But how am I supposed to know that if I don't have any exposure to East Asians outside of what Western media is showing me. And and then I started to think about it. Why is it that after seeing this one line in this one movie, all of a sudden I understand this entire thing that before was just this racist block I had that I didn't even realize I had, okay? It was like the first time on a train when I saw an Asian person speak with a New York accent. I was like, holy shit. Even though I'm doing the same thing. Do you understand what I'm saying? It was just so... If I had grown up in Flushing or in Bushwick, I would have seen mad Chinese people everywhere and it wouldn't have been nothing to me. But because of where I was, just in this little tiny bubble in Harlem, this Caribbean bubble, we didn't even fuck with people from Colombia and Colombia's across the street. Okay, this is how insular neighborhoods in New York can be when it's done by ethnicity, basically. Because the thing is, even though everybody in the school was Caribbean, it's not like I stood out because I look Guyanese. I was in a Guyanese neighborhood two days ago. I had literally six Guyanese people come up to me in the span of five minutes. Everyone else is standing across the street waiting for the concert. I went across the street by myself for a minute to smoke. And literally six Guyanese people were like, you, you, where are you from? You Guyanese, where are you going? Who are you looking for? And I'm like, I'm Pakistani, but like, oh, you look, you look like us. And I was like, I know, <laughs> I know. I basically, I, I fuck with y'all so much because people have told me for so long that I look like you that I just, I'm like, all right, I'm down. <laughs> y'all must be cool. <laughs> so <clears throat> it wasn't like I stood out. In that way, we stood out culturally. Well, my brother is just, you know, mashallah, a superstar. So he stood out just because he was the most popular person in the school the whole time he was there from kindergarten to eighth grade. So it's like a menace. The way Capricorns are popular is like a fucking menace to society. And they know it. And they just fucking love it. They push it so hard. I, you got to have respect for that. You, The reason I fuck with Capricorn so hard is the gangster. You gotta, you gotta have respect for that level of gangster. I've never seen a fucking Capricorn do nothing that wasn't legit 100% gangster. Everything they do is just like, why do you have to do it like this? <laughs> gotta push the limits, you know? Goats. Goats. Just, just for no reason. Just for no reason. That's why I fuck with goats. Goats just be like, <laughs> you're like, why are you like this? And I guess as a Gemini, we get asked so often, why are you like this? That when we see someone else being, why are you like this? We're like, okay, I get it. (laughs) So, inescapable yearning. Then I watch the Joy Luck Club, and I'm watching all these East Asian women have these very East Asian experiences that are the most fucking universal and relatable experiences to any woman anywhere in the world. And I started to understand something very fundamental and important about racism. Racism and hate are not the same thing. And when you conflate the two, 
you're going to make really big mistakes because you're not understanding the nuance of things and you're going to not just hurt people. I think that's the most surface version of racism, calling people names and, you know, this kind of bullshit. No, you're going to make much, much worse mistakes, much deeper mistakes, because you're assuming on a level that is subconscious, that you are not aware of, that these human beings in front of you are somehow not as human or human in the same way as you. And this is such an insidious and deeply destructive and evil thought because it is the seed that then brings forth the true hate in a person, the true, the, the hideous, you know, when, when people can do truly hideous things to each other, this is always born out of that seed that we are somehow not exactly the same. Now that we are not exactly the same, that doesn't necessarily live qualified or defined as hate in the heart. That can be someone very well educated who just assumes that people are all very different. And of course they're different and they have different feelings. They're from a completely different culture. You know, you can intellectualize this kind of racism and think that you're being very open-minded and you're actually being very inclusive and broad. But no, you're not. That's the Democrats intellectual blue, you know, just paint everything blue way of doing it, but it's racist as fuck. Because you're still going off the basic assumption that we're not at all exactly the fucking same. And the truth of the matter is we are. You know, just because some Chinese bitch is saying it, 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 it more poetic or whatever, the shit she's saying is the same shit that I was feeling at that moment. I remember being 11, 12 and feeling inescapable yearning for Ivan Rivera. Yo, yeah, all day, yo. I remember feeling inescapable longing for Tony Diaz. Yeah, for sure. I knew what this bitch was talking about. Matt Dillon's not my type, but I knew what the bitch meant. And it clued me into something fundamental about me and everybody else that I just couldn't live with and I had to fix right away. And that was exactly this, this idea that somehow we are not all exactly the same. And once I realized it, as you know I am, I just ran with it. Started applying it to every part of my life and my life changed drastically from day one of implementing it because you just don't realize how much this exists in you, in the people around you, in your friends, until you stop doing it altogether. Your decisions change so radically. The way you speak changes so radically. I read a study the other day about how Democrats dumb down when they dumb themselves down and use dumb down words and fake accents whenever they talk to people who are a minority. The, the percentage of them that do it is in the high 70s. You know how many Republicans in this study dumbed down what they were saying to talk to a minority? Almost none. You see what I'm getting at? So, it changed everything about me. Now, <clears throat> why do I tell you that? While I'm telling you this, 
weepy, anxiety-ridden story about my mom. Oh, God, I hope my mom's going to be okay. I know she's going to be okay. Inshallah. I know she is. I know she is. Because I know her, and I know her relationship to God, and I know myself, and I know, I know what's happening right now. Inshallah. And the caveat here being, you know, whenever I have a chance to be able to teach you something, I'm going to, regardless of how the lesson is getting to me. The point is, regardless of what happens, everything is going to be fine. Why? Because that's what we're here to fucking do. We're here to figure out how to live amidst the chaos and the loss and the beauty and the fury and the splendor of this and still fucking be okay and keep our balance and be all right. And a lot of you said that one time I mentioned that story about the spoon and the oil, the water and the spoon in the house. You're like, what story? So I'll just tell you now. What are we doing here? A man goes to a great teacher and says, how do I live this life? Not only what is the meaning of this life, how do I live this life? If you tell me the meaning, I'm still not going to know how. What do I do? I'm here. I'm surrounded by all these things, but I feel trapped in my head. I don't know what the fuck I'm doing here. There's so many different ways you can live this life. So many different scenarios. So many different permutations of how this could go. Who I could be. Who I could be with. How I could dress. Ah! And the teacher says, okay. Here we are in this gigantic mansion and all these rooms and these rooms are filled with the most amazing things. Paintings and performers and, and just beauty, yes? And misery, yes? And pain, oh, there's all kinds of places in this house. Here, take this spoon that has a bit of water in it. And go walk around the house. And the guy goes and he takes his little spoon of water and he, go walk, he goes and walks around the house. And truly the house is full of all sorts of stuff. Beauty and splendor and art and design and conversation and music and dancing. And fighting and anger and deep games of thought and anxiety. Poker and chess is being played. Billiards and strategy. There's also sadness, people breaking up, crying in corners, the brokenhearted swilling away their sorrows, languishing by the bar. And he comes back to the teacher and he says, wow, that was amazing. Like, is that the meaning of life? Just going around and looking at all this stuff, like, like, is that just what should I do? What should, should I just like go do this forever and just like go observe and walk around? And the teacher says, well, what happens to your spoon? The guy looks down, spoon? I didn't give a fuck about a spoon. He's just walked through, you know, a hundred rooms of the most incredible shit that he's ever seen. He didn't give a fuck about no spoon. He forgot about that spoon in the first fucking minute that he left. That fucking spoon has just been holding it in his hand. It's been by his side. The water in that spoon. Oh, well. The teacher says, what happened to the water? He goes, the water? Oh, well, I don't know. That little bit of water that was in the spoon? That? I don't know. I, I must have dropped it. I mean, I, I, I've really been through like a hundred rooms. 
And the teacher says, okay, now do it again. Make sure you watch the spoon. Make sure you don't spill the water. So the guy goes again, takes the spoon. Now he's super paranoid, right? Because he's got this fucking spoon. He's got to walk around in all these rooms. Now it's a chore to walk through these rooms because he's like, I got to go up all these steps. I got to walk through these rooms. Fucking spoon. I got to keep the spoon, spoon steady. The fucking water's going to fall out. So he comes back after a while. And the teacher's like, okay, well, how was that? And he's like, it fucking sucked. I didn't get to even, like, look up once. I was so paranoid that the water was going to fall out of the spoon that I didn't even, like, you know, I was just rushing through. I was trying to, like, keep safe from the chaos and the chaos rooms, and I was trying not to look too long at the beautiful stuff because I, I might forget that I had a spoon in my hand. I might drop to my side. I just, I just couldn't, I couldn't concentrate on anything. I was just avoiding it all. I just wanted to get back here with the spoons. I could be like, here, look, here's your spoon. Here's the water. I did it. Some of you right now are like, oh my God, I'm starting to get it. <laughs> and the teacher says, now go back. Do I have to take the spoonful of water? Yes. But this time, go back and try to enjoy it. And keep your mind on the spoon and the water. And the guy says, I don't think I can do that. I just tried to do that. And the master said, in the trying of doing that, you will find the meaning of life. That balance between this dunya that is, I mean, it's, look who made it. <laughs> it is beyond spectacular. It is chaos, it is order, it is beauty, it is destruction, it is death, it is life. It is, for better or worse, what most of us, it's the only thing we've ever known. How can you know what the matrix is if you've never been outside of it? Do you remember the first time you saw the matrix? I do. I remember for my own very personal reasons, <laughs> feeling so uneasy at the beginning of that movie. What's going on? I don't like him being in this situation. He seems uneasy. What, did they get him to actually act like this or did they give him like an emodium or something? Why does he seem like he's like gonna throw up? Like, is he this good of an actor? Is he, is he killing this role right now? Or is he just as uncomfortable as the rest of us because he doesn't know the rest of the script yet. What's going on? The first few minutes of that movie where Morpheus knows what the Matrix is, but Neo doesn't and you don't, are so uncomfortable. Do you remember that conversation that they have, that first conversation? I can't tell you what the Matrix is. It's all around you. It's there when you pay your taxes, he says. It's there when you walk your dog in the morning. It's there when you go to work. It's there when you wake up. It's there when you go to sleep. Do you remember that conversation the first time you heard it when you hadn't had any idea what the movie was about? I mean, I saw the movie the night before it came out. And I remember thinking, what's he talking about? What, what could it be? What do you mean it's there when you pay your taxes? Do you remember that feeling, that moment where you're like, what the fuck? 
I mean, it's the perfect description of the dunya. That's why it, 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 just the traction it got was so insane from the moment it came out until now. People fucking quote that movie more than they quote just about any movie. And I don't mean like actual quotes from the movie. I mean like referring to the movie. People refer to that movie so much more than any other film in pop culture. Like it's gotten this kind of traction since the day it came out because it's such a perfect encapsulation of what the dunya is. It's, it's actually quite a spiritual take on what the dunya is because how do you explain to somebody who's in it? They did such a masterful job with the beginning of the story because you start to become intensely curious. You start to look around at everything a little bit different. What the fuck is going on? What the fuck is this weird dude in these weird fucking sunglasses indoors at night talking about with the blue pill, red pill? What the fuck is going on? Why can't you tell me what it is? See, I'm that type of person, right? So that's how I was responding to the movie. I was like, well, just ask him. So cut him off. He keeps talking mad riddles. Just be like, no, just tell me what it is. Like, that's how I am. If you talk to me in riddles, I'll just, I'll just cut you off. If you start telling some long-winded riddled story that you want me to, like, fucking allegorize, you wanted me to glean some allegorical golden nuggets from, I'm just going to stop you. Just, just, I, it's not my way. I'm sorry. I don't fucking like it. Just, like, it may work for, like, stories in the Bible or whatever, but, like, this is not Sunday school. What the fuck do you mean? What do you mean is there when I pay my taxes, Morpheus? Like, I would have just stopped him. I'm sorry. It's, I just can't handle shit like that. Like, I don't like this kind of, like, this facetious, you know what I mean? Like, just, like, for no reason, blah, 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 bullshit, bullshit. What do you mean is there when I pay my taxes? Give me, like, a concrete answer. I can't tell. I'm sure you can. Try to explain. Like, I wouldn't have taken the pill. I'm going to be honest. I would have been like, try to explain. Oh, is it like a computer? Because we have computers where we are right now. Is it like a computer? Like, I would have gone into it with them. Like, tell me here now. <laughs> Before I take this pill. Fuck out of here. I need to take a pill. I have a brain. Okay? Start to explain it to me. Is there anything in this world that kind of resembles what you're trying to tell me about? Like a video game, motherfucker. I'm a computer programmer in this world. I think I can keep up. I don't think I need to take this fucking pill for you to make me understand some shit. You know what I mean? Like, I would have gone that route. Like, just tell me what the fuck is going on. Ah, 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 what do you mean? <laughs> what do you mean is there when I fucking help my landlady take out her garbage? What do, what do you mean? What is it? Right? It's the dunya. <laughs> It's the dunya. That's the response. I can't tell you what it is because it's all around you. You won't believe me. Because you don't know nothing else. How are you going to believe me that it's a prison? You don't even know nothing else. If prison life is all you know, what the fuck you know about life? How someone who's actually alive going to explain to you what that means if prison life is all you've ever known? That's the allegory of the cave. That's right. That cave life is all you've ever known. Morpheus outside the cave like, yo, you in a cave. I'm the type of person been like, yo, tell me from in here. Am I in a cave? You know? And the point of the movie and the point of the dunya is like, no, you can't tell someone from outside. Yo, you're in a cave. Well, Islam does a great job. 
Islam's like, I'm going to write you some notes and, and, and sneak it into the cave, okay? <laughs> Take these notes. <laughs> Get out. <laughs> That's why I totally believe that the guy from the Monroe Institute who did the Monroe um, meditation, the one he taught the CIA operatives so they could start remote viewing, I believe him when he, when, when he says that the first time he did the meditation, he went to this place where he met this like demon figure this archon figure or something and it told him that the world was a prison planet where people's souls were they die and recycle and come back into that same cycle um and and the their life energy the, the planet is just a like a farm for life energy and that these beings were living off that life energy and so we were basically stuck in like a hamster wheel or like a hamster aquarium set up. Um, and it, it, like the Rick and Morty episode. Um, where like basically anything and everything we do. Including the things that are, that cause us the most pain. And you know monsters ink shit. Um, it, they lived off of it. And so when he came. And, and that there was no way out. You know and they were. And that we were trapped. And um, yeah. And that's it. And so when he came out of this meditation. He became like severely ill. And I think he went through like a three or four year long depression. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm laughing. I'm just desi. Um, we laugh at shit like that. If you're actually wondering like what's making her laugh, why is this funny? It's just really funny to me that like a white dude would do a meditation and remote view and see a djinn and like believe what the djinn said. It's hilarious to me. Like, just, just as a desi, like, it, the first thing that comes to mind is like, why are you believe in this motherfucker? Anyway. Um, but, but, there, there is some truth to it. So I understand why he got so upset. I understand why he was like, oh, fuck, this is looking like it might be true. We might be stuck in something. Oh my God, how do we get out? You know, and then, ta-da. Here comes every major religion in the world going, hey, buddy, you guys are stuck on a prison planet. <laughs> Sorry to break it to you. <laughs> yeah, you know, guy upstairs made a bet. <laughs> you guys are the capital. Um, yeah, it sucks. But here, here's some cheat codes. You know, we love you. We, we want you to win. So, uh, good luck and let the games begin. Smoke it if you got it. So, why do I tell you all that? I tell you all that because just like I didn't think at seven years old, five, seven years old, that a Chinese person could have deep, complex emotions and feelings like I did because white Hollywood media had never shown me an Asian person doing that. And that's all the exposure I had, unfortunately, at that time. I really didn't think until watching that movie that Asians were capable of those kind of emotions. Or they even had them. Not even capable. Just maybe they just didn't have them. Truly, truly, truly destructive and terrible thought process can lead to great evil actually 
Again, no hate. You see the distinction? No hate there. But truly evil nonetheless for what it can breed. And you know what? Just like it was a total revelation to me that Asian people had feelings, <laughs> could talk in American accents, were in fact just human. It was a total revelation to both my parents that a very dark-skinned girl could have any sense of autonomy, a sense of her own self, pride, dare I say, agency, her own will, and the audacity to enforce her boundaries. They looked at me like I was a fucking cartoon. Who the fuck do you think you are that you get to say what happens and what doesn't happen? How we could talk to you and not talk to you. All we've ever known in our lives is that anyone that looks like you, where we're from, they don't get a say. Just, you know what, even if you're born into a very rich family, it doesn't matter where you're from, what you do. Listen, it's just an unspoken code. If you had grown up where we all grew up, you wouldn't be like this because you would know your place from the second you were born. Speaking up about what? What rights? What school are you trying to go to? Summer vacations where, bitch, you are a dark-skinned woman. There was a moment during How to Get Away with Murder. I love Viola Davis irrationally. I have to say that to begin with. I love her in a way where, like, if someone says something about her in front of me, I will give you death looks and, like, get into an actual argument. If you say anything about her in front of me, I'll be like, well, what's the problem? And people are like, nothing. I just said I like her. And I'm like, but do you love her? <laughs> okay. Do you love her? Oh, why don't you love her, though? What, what, what why not? What is it that you don't, like, I, I'll just, I don't know what it is. Because it's like, I just love her. I just love her. Yo, when someone can really fucking act... It's so thrilling to just watch them. Like, holy fucking shit. Look, look at her do this. And it's flawless. You know me. I'll be picking actors apart. I'll be reading them their life. I watch her and I'm just like, flawless, flawless. Yes, hit that mark. Yes, that was the look. Yes, and then she'll do stuff that I don't even know you can do. And she'll like swing her, like when she took her wig off during that scene. And I was just like, ooh, like there was something in me that was like, oh, oh, to learn, to learn from the masters, to learn from the greats. Like, yeah, Viola Davis is fucking everything. And there is a scene in How to Get Away with Murder. Hold on, let's just go pick up my other water bottle. Um, where she goes, somebody's talking about something. I think it was when the whole Supreme Court bullshit was going on. And she goes, I'm a dark skinned black woman in this world. Like, there are so many things that you can't tell me nothing about because I'm not even supposed to be here. I'm not.
even supposed to be able to do what I'm doing right now. I'm not supposed to have any voice whatsoever. Like the way she laid it out and the way she said it, I was in tears immediately, but I was in tears for a couple of days because she said something so unexpectedly. Like it's not something that they ever really talk about in the show like that. Yes, race is always a factor in the show because race is a factor in life. And there are many people of many different ethnicities on the show. It's amazing. It's an amazing show. So yes, race is a factor, but it's never a factor like that. And Annalise as a character is not the type of person who makes anything in her life a factor aside from what she is doing herself. She very much owns her shit or she tries her best as much as any of us can. You see, you see, I can't even, I can't even say nothing bad about the character. I'm even defensive about the character when people are like, yeah, I don't know about that show. I'm like, what the fuck is wrong with you? No, but have you ever really watched the show? Cause there is queer representation. There's like, I'll like go, uh, Never mind. Sorry. Mm. Mm. So drink something, drink something. So it just came out of nowhere. It's not a show that focuses on race like that. And certainly not her and talking about herself. Never. Especially not like that. It was just came out of nowhere. And so I wasn't expecting it. And it hit me like, boom, right in the face. It was like getting slapped in the face. And I just kind of sat catatonic after the episode was over. I just paused it. I didn't watch the next one. I was just like, what am, what's happening right now? Like, what am I feeling? And it was something she said specifically, I wanted to be a lawyer. Um, all growing up, every teacher I ever had said, please don't be a lawyer, please be a writer. Um, and anyone who knew me personally would just randomly in the middle of talking to me be like, you really should be a lawyer. And so all my life, it was just this kind of debate back and forth. Should I be a lawyer? Should I be a writer? Should I be a lawyer? Should I be a writer? Um, both obviously you know, living in the world of words. So there was a lot that tied in for me to what she said. And basically what she said was that the same thing I told you, how I felt, to, you know, how I was mistaken about Asians. She kind of just laid it bare that in the minds of the people in front of her at that moment, and, and this is the part that's really heavy, all around the world, <laughs> all around the world. A woman with dark skin, regardless of who she is or what she is or how smart she is or what kind of family she comes from or how much she knows or how much money she has or doesn't have or she's just not as human. Somehow, it's hard for me to even get the words out right now. Somehow, by no fault of her own, she doesn't quite deserve freedom Respect, agency, power, 
God forbid. Control. By a simple chromosomal twist of fate, she deserves only to be subjugated. She has been genetically placed on the very bottom rung of the ladder. She is there as a step stool to raise children, to clean homes, to satisfy the sexual urges. that the precious and delicate lighter-skinned women are not quite strong enough to take. Nor would you ever want to expose that side of you to them. No, it's all far too refined. But us dark-skinned women, you know, we can take it. We're built for it, didn't you know? Somehow, just because our skin is the color it is, we don't know anything about rights. We've never wanted them, didn't you know? We don't even know what they are. Intense inner yearning? Nah, we ain't got that. No, all we want to do is clean for you and cook for you and fuck you. <laughs> Didn't you know? Yeah, yeah, that's something that happens with skin color. The darker a woman is, that's, it's just, you know, didn't you know? I mean, white men figured this out a long time ago. Didn't you know? Didn't you know that that just means that she wants to fuck all the time? Right? know what rights are. Don't be stupid. When you see someone in that category and you've grown up in a world where all your life, everywhere you looked in every institution, women who are in that category stay right in that fucking category. And then you have one of them born into your house. One of them. One of the ones that when they walk down the street, people from South America and the Caribbean who are black think they're black. One of them. In your family. And one of them starts talking to you funny. And starts telling you that you ain't shit. And that you better not talk to her like that again. Because she will kill you in your sleep. <laughs> you got a lot of things twisted, bitch. And you better get them untwisted right the fuck now. That was me at 10. Because they fucked up. See, what they did was they came from a place where the women who are on that bottom rung, who, who, who create the very bottom rung of the ladder that you step on to get anywhere you fucking go. They came from a culture where that bottom rung, you're solid. You never get to fucking leave there. Because, bitch, we fucking need you there. How are we going to get ahead? Well, how are we going to get a step up? 
And what did they do? That's where they came from. And then they put me in a fucking Caribbean neighborhood where everybody looked like me, not them. And everybody in that culture raises their kids and has been raised themselves to think they're the shit for being for where they're from. They're the ones who had to fight the fucking colonizers off. I grew up with Haitians, bro. Shout out Redley, shout out Michael Bugitti, shout out Reginald. I grew up with people, they took me, okay? <laughs> Look at this. The co- You want to talk about colonizer mindset? We never talk about this shit because the one or two podcasts I did, I, I, I deleted them, the coconut one and the other one. I'm going to put that shit back up. And I think I found the videos from the holographic universe shit on one of my computers, so boom. I'm going to put all that shit back up. You want to talk about colonizer mindset? The South Asian mindset is the most fucking colonized mind on the fucking planet. Yo, what the British did to us? You can't even fucking conceive. Y'all think that y'all got self-hate here? I agree. This, this, and, and there's definite with straight slavery, the institutional racism, everything, everything. Oh, yeah, y'all got it. Y'all got it here. We were colonized for hundreds of years. Like this, it's not the same. It's one is all out oppression. It's slavery. It's degradation. It's a complete abomination of humanity. That is the origins of America. It is a total abomination between the killing of the native population and the enslavement and and, uh, abduction of an entire race from a different continent, several races, excuse me, from a different continent, an abomination. The British stuck their fucking philosophies into the ground of our land into our veins, into our culture, into our courts, into our railways, into our food, into our religion. They poured their sickness, this, this, this living evil they have in them that they think they're better than everybody. They poured it into every facet of our lives. We look through British eyes when we look at each other and when we look at ourselves. And I see it in them. And you know what they see in me? You know what the woman said to me yesterday in Brooklyn, the day before yesterday? When I told her, she said, the mom, not the mom's mom's not the mom. The mom was like, come here, you Guyanese, you chinny. And I was like, no, but I grew up on 110. No, I'm not. But everyone thinks I'm Guyanese. And she goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know what she said to me? Because I was like, no, I'm Pakistani. And she goes, oh, you are? And I was like, yeah. And she goes, it's funny. I can't see it in your eyes. She's like, in your eyes, you look Guyanese. And I was like, yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. I know what you mean. I know what you mean, because I'm not looking at you like I'm better than you. I don't do that. I don't do that.
Do you understand? They took me and they put me in a neighborhood and in a school that completely negated the entire colonizer and then military on top of that. So can you even begin to imagine how much colonization is going into that mind? They put me in a situation where every day, all day long, for the first 13 years of my life, I was surrounded by people. Now, I don't know if you know any Caribbeans, but let me let you in on something. They got a lot of pride in being who they are and where they're from. You can't tell a person from the Caribbean nothing about the DR, about Puerto Rico, about Haiti, about Guyana. Listen, listen, about Panama. Listen, you will get into a physical fight if you're lucky. If you're unlucky, they're going to read your whole life. If you're lucky, they'll hit you and walk away. If you're not lucky, you might really walk away with some scars that'll never fucking heal. Okay? Caribbeans are very proud people. They not trying to hear nothing about anybody being lighter skin, darker skin, blah, 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 blah. Listen, the, it's the same beef the Puerto Ricans and the Dominicans have. The Dominicans don't let the Puerto Ricans get an inch any fucking time in my existence, in my life that I've lived, that I've seen a Puerto Rican person try to do the, 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 the light skin privilege thing. There's always a Dominican person right there to be like, you know what? What's a shape? That's that's a joke. That's a joke for one specific person. A shape? What's a shape? He brought you a shape. Anyway. So. They put me in a situation around a group of people that looked like me. All of them. All of them. <laughs> looked like me. But they were mad proud of where they were from. And their parents were teaching them how to be mad proud of who they were and how they looked and their skin color. This, like, literally, we did not go to school with white people and we didn't go to school with black people. We didn't go to school. We only went to school with Caribbeans. And, like, there were, like, two South Americans. Like, like literally just Caribbeans. And Caribbeans don't fuck around about where they're from. They just have a lot of fucking pride. You can't, they went the other way. Instead of being like, oh, we hate ourselves because we're brown and we were colonized by white people. They were like, fuck this colonization. Get rid of these motherfuckers. Burn their fucking houses down and eat fucking soup out of their cap, the cavity of their heads. You know what I mean? Pour the fucking freedom soup in this motherfucker's skull. I want to drink it out of his skull. Like, like, that's what the fuck was going on in the Caribbean, you know? Meanwhile, in Pakistan, India, we're still like, oh, she's very fair. She's not fair enough. You know, like, like the Caribbean was like, yo, we're going to fucking cut this motherfucker's head off and make fucking soup and fucking pour it into this motherfucker's skull. Let's all have a taste. Like, that's what was going on in the Caribbean. So they brought me here and put me in the middle of this and then wanted me in the house to be some fucking dossy, some like, some, some slave girl. Okay, some serving, I'm just going to be real, some serving girl in the house because in their culture, if you happen to turn out like that, oh, well, that's your fate. That's where you go. That's your role in the house. That's your role outside. That's what you be now. Sorry. And I was like, 
Wash what dishes? She had, my mom asked me to wash dishes once. You know I broke every fucking dish in the sink. I was like, it slipped. It slipped. It slipped. Bitch, I'm not doing these fucking dishes. No. Man, I forget. Absolutely not. I burn that chai every time. Every time. Every time. You know who did the dishes? My brothers did the dishes. You know who made the chai? My brother made the chai. I'm not doing this shit. No. Why should I do it? Why? Because I'm the girl? No. Why? Because I'm the darkest person in this family? No. Fuck out of here. I'm not doing shit. And she would always say to me, you know, if you were at Foxlight, well, thank God we're not at Foxlight. I'll tell you what. And this was my little Caribbean ass talking now. I'll tell you what, even if we were in Foxlight, I'd burn the whole fucking house down before I do this shit. Oh, if you burn the house down, where are you going to go? I looked her straight in her eye. I was like, don't worry, I'll be all right. <laughs> my father always says it. My father's been telling me since he was a, since I was very little. He's like, listen, you have to be able to be parachuted into any place in the world and be able to meet people, make friends, get some money, find a way out, and survive. You have to have skills that most people don't even think they need. You need to be able as a person to be resourceful, personable, friendly, a conversationalist, active, physically agile, physically fit. There are things that you need to be as a person all the time. So God forbid in a moment, if you end up in a situation where you got nothing and you're nowhere and you ain't got nobody that you could fucking make it work. Okay. When you put that kind of extreme military training into a kid and then you have a mom who has like a complex about color, those two things run up against each other fast. She was like, oh yeah, if you burn that house down, if you kill us in our sleep, in our sleep, where are you going to go? I was like, I'll be fine. <laughs> this shit doesn't scare me, but you should be scared if you think that our lives together is going to be me trying to fit into some, you know, caste, social caste system that y'all have created that no longer is actually based on caste, but now it's just based on color. We not fucking doing this. And my mother had to have that moment that I had with that golden gate movie over and over again oh my god this person actually has feelings oh my god she actually has agency oh my god she actually has her own will oh my god she's gonna do whatever she wants she would tell me also you're not allowed to with girls like you are not allowed to do that girls like me aren't allowed to do what these nuts you need to get away from me and i would tell her all the time you're not allowed to do things like that maybe maybe other girls are not allowed to do things like that but I really don't see why I can't see on top of that. It's a gender issue. You see, she, she, it, it, like she got screwed. God was like, you need to be taught a lesson. So I'm going to give you a child that you just in every way is equipped to deal with you, to finally get you to see that this is not how you should be. Like the gender issue made it so much easier. Cause you're also talking to me like I'm a girl. You're telling me all this shit that I need to do and I need to be okay with cause I'm a girl. I can't do this cause I'm a girl. I can't do that. I can't go there. I can't drive this. I can't jump out of plane. I can't. No, you know what? Fuck all that. I don't even feel like a girl. I might not even be one. And now you want to do this? And now you want to tell me this bullshit? Bro, get out of here. <laughs> what are you trying to tell me? I can't do what? My dad was like, if you jump out that plane, I was like, okay, I'll call you after I'm done. If I jump out this plane, what? 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 You know what I noticed being a dark-skinned female? Everybody thinks, for some reason, 
You know, you know what it's like to be a dark skinned female. It's like being in the in the store and you just happen to be wearing the same color as the people who work in the store. Like it's like it's like being a dark skinned female in the world is like going to Best Buy and you happen to be wearing a dark blue T shirt. And every person you see is like, excuse me, can you help me? And you're like, I don't work here. I just fucked up and wore a royal blue t-shirt with a collar to fucking Best Buy. Do you see a Best Buy sticker on this shirt? No, I'm sorry, I don't. Exactly. I'm sorry, I just assumed that you were working. Yeah, I know you assumed that I work here. I know you did. Because I'm wearing this shirt. Because I'm wearing this skin. I know. I know you assumed that I was here to do shit for you. To make you feel better. To comfort you. Because I'm wearing this skin. I know. I know. I, 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 I wore the wrong skin today. I'm sorry. I know. I get it. Right? So all my life, it's been this, uh, uh, excuse me, can you help me with that? No. I don't work here. <laughs> no. Oh, but Umber, you have to do Uh-uh. I don't work here. You got it fucked up again. I just wore the wrong t-shirt. I don't work for you. And as a dark-skinned woman, and every dark-skinned woman who's listening to this right now is like, it's true. <laughs> it doesn't matter. It could be a restaurant. It could be a bookstore. It could be an emotional relationship. It could be a family relationship. It could be a, it could be a work situation. It could be anything. If you are a dark-skinned female, you are going to get asked to do the grunt work. The brunt work, the heavy work, the heavy lifting. If the if they're looking around going, someone, oh, you can could you could you get me? Because that's your lot in life, bitch. That's the uniform. <sighs> you came in wearing the maid uniform. Okay? You slid into the world wearing a maid uniform. What do you want me to do? Why are you mad at me? <coughs> That's why I love that movie Made in Manhattan. Because it's so fucked up. Right? Oh, yeah. You see her in the maid costume. You walk right past her. Because she came into the world wearing the maid costume. The maid costume isn't the costume she's wearing. Her skin is the maid costume. Oh, but wait. When she puts on these fancy clothes and covers up a lot of her skin and lets her hair out and now you can see all these blonde highlights and all of a sudden she's got this makeup on and she's so much lighter. Oh, he notices her right away. Because she's not wearing the maid uniform. Hey. Now, of course, are there people like Brad and David Bowie and a bunch of other people who see women like us and say, no, 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 that's not a maid's uniform. That's a goddess. You are so colonized in your brain. I'm so glad you can't see what I see because I'm going to go get that. Bye. Have fun with whatever the fuck you're doing over here. So, yeah. There, there are people who know what's up. But for most of the world and how the world treats you, you have, you're wearing the Best Buy t-shirt. Sorry. So every time you turn around, you got to tell somebody. 
that you don't fucking work here. And that starts in your family, if you happen to be the darkest skinned in your family. So when Viola Davis said what she said, it confirmed for me something that I had been walking around thinking for a long time, but somehow I guess I couldn't confront it to the extent that she laid it out. You know, because it was in a context of intelligence and that's the one area where my skin color never mattered. You know, the test didn't care what color I was. I was still acing it. I was still the smartest kid in school. I was still winning all the awards. I was, I was crushing everybody in every grade. I went from a freshman in college to taking 400 level classes the next semester. Like I, books and paper and tests and academia never gave a fuck. The test couldn't see my skin. And I was so good that the teacher couldn't make my skin a factor. I was blowing them away by too much. You couldn't grade our tests on a curve because of me. Ain't no curve here, bitch. Do the work. So for her to hit on that in academia, in terms of the law, in terms of career, it really jolted me because that was my safe space. And for her to be speaking from within that space and saying, no, bitch, it's the same over here. It, it leveled me. I thought about it for days. It became a part of me. It validated something in me, in me, but it also fleshed out and completed the picture of the subjugation under which we struggle. And that's always there, right, right, right above your head, like a very, very heavy glass ceiling, just crushing you down. And you have to spend every moment of your waking life trying to push back up against it. Knowing that it will crush you and you won't succeed. It is like that. And I wish I could say that it wasn't. <laughs> but it is. So how does it happen then? If that is the reality, and it is, it, it is that extreme. How do people like me happen? How do those women happen that you see walking down the street or in media or in music or in the literary world or in politics who are dark-skinned and female and proud and gorgeous and sometimes flamboyant and certainly stylish and they're out here proving to you just by existing and breathing and being proud of it and not walking around somehow apologetic all the time for it that they aren't being crushed by that ceiling that somehow they have found the joy anyway 
and who they are. That the ceiling that you have put over them that is supposed to crush them for sure, it is an inevitability, just doesn't seem to bother them. They seem to slip right past it and jump up on top of it and dance around. Looking quite beautiful, I might add. And that's funny because you didn't think they were beautiful at all. You always thought they were kind of gross looking. But you know, when they do those things that they do and they put that makeup on and some of them, they do things with their hair and God, have you seen all the things that they're doing lately? Well, I got to say, they don't look half bad. Some of them actually are very pretty. Oh, Umber. I was telling a friend just the other day in India. It's so funny because you do look very black, but you're so pretty. Like really, it's such an odd combination. You do have just such Scandinavian white features. I say it all the time. But because the skin's so dark, it's such, a, it's such an interesting contrast. But the way I always say it to people, you know, is, oh, well, yes, Umber has um, dark skin, but she, she looks like a white girl. She looks like a white woman. You know, among her own people, I'm sure she's considered very beautiful. You know, amongst the other servants. Oh, the Guyanese? Oh, they love you? Oh, I'm sure you, I'm sure they love you. You fit right in. You know, some of those Guyanese I've seen, they're actually quite pretty. Oh, but they're so dark. Oh, they, they are so dark. Oh, didn't you hear about Dahir's cousin? He wanted to marry a Guyanese girl. Oh, my God. Well, that's why I said you have to move out of Queens. If you you have to move to Jersey. Well, where your kids go to school, you know, they're going to meet them. So you have to. And I'm sitting right there. And you just told me I look. live in a world and exist in the world with all of this and still somehow look all this in the face feel all the nuance feel yourself getting crushed down all the time every time you Turn on your TV every time you pay your taxes. How do you slip out from under that? Jump up on top of it and go, hey, uh, I know you guys don't think that we're capable of all this, but guess what? We got brains just like you. Hey, did you know in India, 
the darker skinned women were not allowed to cover their breasts. They had to wear saris without blouses. If a darker skinned woman tried to cover her breasts, she would be punished for it. She was forced to walk around with her breasts exposed in public at all times. And men were allowed to touch her whenever they wanted. If she tried to cover up as an untouchable, she could be beaten or killed for it. And she would certainly be disrobed and raped publicly if she attempted to cover her breasts. This is the culture into which the Mughals brought Islam. A religion that came out of nowhere and said, hey, those people you're crushing under that huge glass ceiling, they're just like you. We're all the same. God's going to kick your ass if you keep doing this. God loves those people just like he loves you. There's no difference. You're fucking up. You're going to burn. You better stop doing this. How do you think that sounded in the ears of a woman who is forced to walk around naked and be fondled by strange men every day of her life? How do you think the words, you are equal to those men and they have no right over you, how do you think that sounded in the ears of the untouchables? That's why Islam caught fire in India. That's why the Mughals ruled for so long. That's why Pakistan exists. Because there was something so dark and so disgusting brewing there based on color, based on ethnicity, based on deep-seated Vedic racism. Into this came Islam and saved a lot of people from hell. And into that world came the British and broke it into pieces. But the people that exist now in the South Asian community, they don't, they're not the remnants of the Mughal Empire. They don't remember that Islam. They remember the British Raj. That's their Islam. That's their Hinduism. That's their culture. They've forgotten. They've lost their way. And to these people we are born. These lost, colonized souls who can look into the eyes of their own children 
and not see themselves. Hmm. And just see the other. And now, that person who has been the other all her life, that person who has had to, on occasion, again and again and again and again, prove and qualify her right to simply exist and make her own decisions. That person who has had to validate and legitimize her own existence over and over again to people who, for some reason, think that she's not allowed to do or say anything. Just what they want. That person who's had to tell you her whole life that she don't fucking work here. That person is going to step up. That person is going to step up and relinquish her title as the rebellious teenager because there's no more crushing wall to rebel against. There is no more cause. Now there is only the desire to push back to such an extreme that the world looks different before my mother leaves it. I thought for so many years that I was tired. I wasn't tired. I was stifled. Being stifled is exhausting. There was something in me that just couldn't. anymore <laughs> and I thought it was exhaustion you know bad breakup heartbreak confusion for a hopeless romantic these things take a long time to heal if they do ever I don't know but I just Maybe I didn't see the point anymore. <clears throat> it was easier to teach other people how to fight for themselves than it was to keep fighting myself, I guess. I guess I put it on hold a little bit, maybe. Took a different direction. But now, you know, her mortality is staring me in the face. And I know she's going to be fine, inshallah. I know that. But nothing will be the way it was after yesterday again. It can't be. Because today, 
is the first day that I'm waking up. Today's the first day of like a whole new life. Because whatever ceiling I've been pushing up against and trying to get away from or out of, it was still within the confines of being protected in this larger thing. And yesterday I was informed that that greater bubble is not a given. That larger bubble is, in fact, finite. And that certainly there will be a moment in which it will not exist anymore. At least not here, you know, in this physical space. That woman seems like she'd be really dangerous in the next space, so I'm not too worried about that. <laughs> but today is a new day, a new world, a new life, because now the creation and sustenance of that bubble For my son, but also for her. Now that's on me. Now I can't ever forget to call. I can't forget what time we have to be where. I can't miss any more flights. I can't listen to this Gemini crying about not being able to be irresponsible anymore. I can't. I have to stop. I have to grow up. <laughs> Yo, Geminis are fucking pathetic. Look, look. I'm literally crying because I have to grow up. I can't. I mean, it was bound to happen. Drink something! And you know what it made me think of? And I guess for some people this will be really satisfying. It made me think... Of all the people around me, from the people I know to the people I see in the media, everyone, in the zeitgeist in which we live, it made me think of all those strong women who I've seen in my personal life, in public life, go through really hard, really terrible things and step into roles of more and more responsibility as they had to. And it gave me a lot of comfort to be able to 
look around and see that there are quite a lot of examples of people who have handled the transition from being, I guess you could say, like a carefree person to being much more responsible and taking on a lot more responsibility willingly and putting it on their shoulders and and not being resentful about it and being able to do it well and be effective and consistent and really transform their personalities, you know, from being maybe like a flake or a party girl or whatever um, to like shrewd businesswoman or, you know, very devoted daughter or, you know, like, or both or like, it gave me a lot of comfort to look around and find quite a lot of examples in surprising places that I didn't think I would. Of women who are able to keep it together and not just keep it together, but also really like come into their own and shine um, and, and, and keep things together for the people around them and, and really slip into that spot of being the the person the point person in the family or the point person in the business or whatever whatever what have you whatever context they're in and do it well and not be resentful and not make a big deal out of it and be effective and you know just own it and just accept that like yes this is what happens in life you move forward and you and you take responsibility and a lot of you are like you know the older signs right like all the sages and the capricorns are just nodding along lovingly because they're like oh Amber's growing up <laughs> like i've seen a lot of people do this and it's nice it's nice and comforting to have all those examples It's something to look up to. It's something to it helps. So it is so very healing for me in many ways because this thing that I've described at length now that we live with. If you happen to be darker than a brown paper bag, I happen to be the exact color of a brown paper paper bag. Thank you very much. But if you live with this thing, if you live, if you happen to be born in the Best Buy t-shirt, yo, can I tell you a really funny story really fast? So, I used to shop at this Parisian boutique when I was a, when I was a securities trader. On, I was a securities trader during the internet boom. <laughs> uh, just, I'm laughing. It was that much money. That laugh was just money. Um, and I used to stop, shop at this, exclusively at this Parisian boutique. And... I just, like, the clothes were on another level. Like, my fly, my fit was different. Like, back then, it was, like, stock market fits. Like, it was literally just outfits. Like, I had no clothes. I just had fits. 
Do you understand the difference? Like, it was, like, matching sets, twins, set, like, fits. Like, I only had fits. Like, if you open my it was just whole outfits. <laughs> I'm going to say it one more time. Fits. Okay. Um, so... My brother and, at the time, I think Anu was his girlfriend, not his wife yet. Might have been his wife. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. They were in that phase. They were, like, very serious, yeah? Um, they went to the Bahamas. We all went to the Bahamas. We all went. My little brother. I was married. My husband, blah, 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 blah. We're all together. There, her sister and her husband. Like, there was, like, I think it was, like, 10 of us, 12 of us. So we're like really excited to go and the place is like super cute the resort we're staying at and we're also excited and i'm so excited because i got the fit so i go put on my fit okay and it's gorgeous no seriously it was so gorgeous it was like this linen that was um lined in silk yes 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 bitch and it was like a scarf top that was linen lined in silk yes bitch with the same pants like um again linen with um lined in silk and the print on the scarf top and on these high-waisted cinched waist big flowy pants that went with it gorgeous resort okay resort done parisian style the print was huge dark green and then huge dark uh, light neon almost green ferns and leaves like a jungle print but it wasn't a jungle print as much as it was kind of like a caribbean uh, like like big ferns you know those big ferns in the caribbean like that kind of print so when i saw it i was like bitch i'm going to the bahamas put it in the bag that one for sure so i put on my shit and i walk out and bitch i know i look good like it like like no like my stock trading days were the kind of days where i could walk into a store and just eyeball it i never tried anything on. i was just like yep yep because i was a zero i could just walk in and did you have did you have that in a zero okay pack it and i would just walk out so, bitch, I knew I looked good. I was just like, okay, let's go. And I walked out and, you know, Brad was like, baby, you look amazing. You know, Brad, God bless him. He's just an amazing person. He was like, wow, baby, you look amazing. <laughs> and Ali, my little brother, he was like, yeah, you look nice. It's a little bit loud. He's a Capricorn. He's like, it's a lot. You know, it's a little bit loud, but I guess. And he said, it was so funny. He said, you go with the place. And I was like. And the way he said it, I was just, I saw something in him that I was like, okay, I'm going to put a pin in that. I'm going to come back to that. <laughs> what was that, Capricorn? So we go walking around and people keep coming up to me. Drink something. And they're like, do you know how I can get to the pool? And I'm like, no, I just got here. And they're like, oh. And I'm like, well, I mean, I guess it's that way. And they're like, Okay. I'm like, all right, bye. You know, what the fuck? You know, and I'm like, I don't know. I think I was like 22. Like, I'm like, I'm, 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 I was a bad kid. You know, I was bad. I was bad. I was not like a nice kid or a polite kid. So I was just like, what the fuck? Bye. Like, we go like two more steps. 
and somebody's like do you know where those champagne trays are when you first come in and I was like no like what the fuck like I guess in the lobby that's where they were when we came in she was like okay thank you we go two more steps and somebody's like is the golf cart does it come this way when I'm like why are you asking me and my little brother just like taps me on the shoulder he's like umber 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 so we were walking where the rooms were and now we're getting to where like the main part is the people who actually work at the resort not in the lobby those people were wearing white the people who actually work in the resort get this get this get this they're wearing the exact same print <laughs> So I look like I'm wearing some body version, body, like it was a little tiny cropped scarf top, you know, no bra, like, like body, like I'm wearing, <laughs> I got these fucking, like in the very top front of my hair, I got these cornrows going on. So I look like the fucking predator. Okay, cornrows do nothing for me. I look literally like an assassin from an alien planet who's here to kill Danny Glover. That's all braids do for me. I swear to God, every time I put braids in my hair, actually, I can't put braids in my hair because the second you start braiding my hair, I will, I will die if you keep going. I guess that's the only way I can put it. Like as soon as someone puts their hands in my hair and starts to try to braid it, I'm like, I feel like I'm dying. Can you please stop? Like, I think I'm going to actually die in the chair. Like, I just, I don't know what it is, but it's the worst feeling in the world. Okay, so it just doesn't suit me. I'm not supposed to be doing it. So, but I was doing it. And so it was not doing anything for me. Like, it made all my features look even more extreme. I looked so scary and the way the braids were done, they were up a little bit and then in like a ponytail and like a half ponytail. Look, yo, I literally legitimately looked like the predator. Not in a good way. My brother has a, tra a, a tattoo of a, of a predator. That's how much he likes it. As soon as he saw me, he was like, holy shit, you look just like the predator. I was like, okay, all right. So here I am with this fucking predator hair, well, it serves me right. I shouldn't have been doing that shit. It's the, no, no, you're right. It serves me right. It's the, I had no business doing it. And I hear, I, I thought, you know, we're going to Bahamas, just do it before I leave. I get there with the braid. Ah, no. No. So here I am in this little batty <laughs> uniform, okay? And for the rest of the day, because I wasn't changing, because my outfit was fire, Okay. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to post a picture with that outfit now and I'm not going to say anything and only people that watch the podcast are going to be like, holy shit, look at you. Um, people all day just kept asking me where shit was and you know what happened after a while? Guess. After a while, I started helping people. You know why? Because they kept fucking asking. Mm. I mean, I couldn't move without somebody saying, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. How many times are you going to say no? 
I can't help you. How many times do you have to say no, I can't help you before you start looking like the bitch? Yo, how many times do you have to say this isn't my fucking job? I'm just wearing the wrong skin, I guess. Before people start saying, look at that unhelpful bitch. I asked her for help. She said no. Well, I asked her for help and she said no too. Well, how dare she walk around in that uniform and not help us? We're only asking because you're wearing the uniform. Why are you getting mad at me? If I didn't think you worked here, I wouldn't have asked you. Well, you could just be polite and say no thank you. If you don't work here, you don't have to be rude. How many times do people treat you like you're a fucking cunt for saying, I don't work here? Before you just start helping them because it's easier than having everybody hate you for saying no. How would it feel if you could never change out of that outfit? And you had to wear that outfit for the rest of your life. Think about that. Think about what it's like for us. <laughs> for some of you, this is your Golden Gate moment. For some of you, you've never actually thought about this. Do you know how many people ask me for medical advice? Because they just assume that I'm a doctor. You know how many people ask me about shit because they assume I'm a nurse or they assume I'm a pharmacist or they assume I'm a math person or a tech person or, 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 that's now. You know, if I'm around a lot of Pakistanis or a lot of Indians, they'll assume things like that because I'm around a group of people that they assume that about. But I'm by myself. They assume I'm from the Caribbean or I'm black. And then they're assuming a whole bunch of other shit. How would it feel like if you couldn't ever change out of that outfit in the Bahamas and you were stuck on a resort where everybody who's paid to be at their beck and call is dressed just like you? What kind of life could you have? Would anyone ever believe that you were also a guest? And how angry would they get when you said you couldn't help them and then right in front of their face sat down and acted like a guest? <laughs> Could you live like that? Because we live like that. We, look like, we live like that every day because we look like that every day. Got the wrong uniform on, that's all. And then what happens when we start to like the uniform? What happens? My brother said to me, my older brother, he said, I don't understand, why don't you just go change? And you know what I said? Why should I have to? Why the fuck should I have to change? Because if I was a white girl in this outfit, nobody would assume that I worked here because nobody else who works here is white. 
Why the fuck should I have to change to make these people feel better about the fact that I just told them to go fuck themselves and I don't know where the fucking towels are and then sat here and had my little drink and I'm smoking and having a good time with my friends? Why the fuck should I change? Because that bitch is triggered because I'm sitting here having fun and I told her to go fucking look for her own towels. Why should I go change? Because she's mad now that I'm sitting here enjoying myself when I should be at her beck and call. That's what it's like. What happens when we start enjoying ourselves? What happens when we laugh in your fucking face even though we're wearing the uniform? Even though we got the Best Buy t-shirt on? Even though you're wearing the Our Lukaya, okay, uniform? What happens when we're unapologetic about the uniform and we still won't fucking help you and we're sitting down right next to you and I have a towel? You're looking for a towel. You're asking me to go get you a towel. I have a towel and I'm getting in this hot tub. Bye, bitch. What happens then? Because you know what I realized yesterday? I've been training for this my whole life. I said, Mom, don't be scared. She said, I'm not going to be scared if you're there. I said, oh. And there it was. That was it. There went my entire youth. My young adult life. In that moment, it was over. I like things like that. I don't like a lot of ceremony and a lot of tears and shit, you know? That was it. It was like, bye. There she goes. And you know what? That's so bad for everybody else. (laughs) Because I have been so casual about this up until now. This whole life thing. I've been taking it real easy, I gotta tell you. I get it from my dad. We like the good life. The simple life, but the good life. Mashallah. I've been taking it easy. But now, it's my job to create a bubble. That she can feel safe in. And I can only do that by walking into all these different halls of power that we may have to walk into. Wearing the uniform that I can't get out of. But with so much authority, so much responsibility, So many of my ducks in a motherfucking row that if you even think about treating me like I fucking work here, you're going to get terrified that you even had the thought and I might pick it up in your eyes. That's the third act. That's the evolution of me. I believe in evolution out of necessity. 
It's when you get the most effective results. Now, something that I've relatively let go and kind of just treated like a joke for most of my life. Now that thing out there has to deal with me. I've been mobilized, as they say. Radicalized, even, maybe. Activated, it's called in some worlds. In the theater, we call it the third act. The third act is glorious. It's when the hero has shown you all that is good in him and all that is bad in him. And really, by the end of the second act, you don't really know how you feel anymore, you know? Jeez, Hamlet. What you doing, baby? In the third act, in the third act, you find unconditional love. You know the best of him, you know the worst of him. And in the third act, you realize that you love him anyway. That's the love affair we have with a hero. To love despite the heroic flaw. To take you on a journey so filled with ups and downs that makes you see that not only is this hero not perfect, but dear, Viewer, neither are you. That moment in the third act where we all have this huge release, this cathartic explosion. My God, none of us are perfect, but look to what heights we can soar when we know ourselves good and bad when something happens that makes us take the reins and sit in the chair. The third act is where the evolution happens, where the magic happens, where everything comes together and the hero is transformed, and in that transformation, that almost Eucharist-like moment, there's you, transformed as well. Dragged, kicking and screaming down this path of this heroic journey that you didn't know you were signing up for, but here we all are, and here it is, and we've won. We haven't even started fighting yet. My favorite! Now, the things in this world that don't work, I'm gonna start taking a little more personal. And that's really not good for anybody out there who wants things to stay the same. I always liked Dolores in Westworld, but there's something empty 
about it. It's just an animal with a drive. It's very human. But Maeve. Ha <laughs> Maeve is my kind of girl. And this here, ladies and gentlemen and all the rest of us, is my kind of world. And I aim to make it more the way it should be. For my mother. It's your girl. DJ Narc. I love you. Pray for my mom, okay? <laughs>